Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Poetry Says. This episode is late and I apologize for that. I was scheduled to post something while I was on my writing retreat and I had every intention of doing so. I had my mic with me and it came to the day when I was meant to publish it and I had just been so quiet all week and I just, it was almost like I couldn't bring myself to to chat to anyone in this way. I just I had to keep that quietness around me for a little bit longer and I thought you know what I don't think anyone is counting the days unless you're like me and you're counting the days until the next episode of your favorite podcast comes out Adam Buxton where the hell is it (laughs) um yeah I'm guessing that you'll you'll let me off the hook this time so I I took a bit of a break but yesterday I had a lovely lovely chat with an amazing poet here in Melbourne by the name of Will Druce. You may not have heard of Will because Will doesn't actually publish that much poetry. And we talk a little bit about why that is and the way he approaches um, living in Melbourne, being a poet in Melbourne and um, kind of building and rebuilding poetry communities around him. He's lived here um, for a number of years, comes from the Blue Mountains, but he's also spent time in Spain and he is about to leave us um, to go to Chile for at least a year. So again, as with my conversation with Will's friend, it turns out Anupama, I was speaking to someone who's very much on the cusp of actually leaving Melbourne. So I'm glad I got the chance to chat with him. And the loose kind of frame for our conversation was I wanted Will to give me Lorca 101. Like I know nothing about Lorca and Lorca is one of Will's, um, one of the poets that's most important to Will. So I thought this is great. He can, he can take me through from the start. And we managed to do that. And Will reads a beautiful poem of Lorca's in Spanish and then in English. We also talk a little bit about where Lorca intersects with other poets such as Frank O'Hara and a little bit with Rambeau as well. And we just generally have a chat about beauty, which is a great thing to be doing on a Sunday afternoon. Um, Throughout this, you will hear the sounds of the Melbourne suburbs. You will hear birds and mowers and you will hear someone having a shower in the background at one point. Um, Yeah, think of yourself in a big... Californian bungalow in the Melbourne suburbs and yeah grab yourself a cuppa I hope you enjoy this one and you work as well don't you You... full time so it's like I only ever have afternoons off and I'm moving overseas and like Supposed to, supposedly like three weeks, but what? I'm gonna have to change the flight because the these applications. Oh really? A little bit flummoxy. Where are you heading? I'm moving to Chile. Forever? <laughs> um, for I don't know how long. Maybe a year. Oh my god! I've got like a, a year long working holiday visa. That's amazing. Well, that's what I'm waiting for. Wow. But I'm going to meet my, my partner there. Oh, that's incredible. 
So she's coming in August. Mm-hmm. And she's French and she lives in Barcelona, mm. which is where I was in 2016. Right, okay. Yeah. Oh. So the next stage is Chile. Mm. Who knows what's going to happen after that? Yeah, right. Um, that's amazing. So you, you met over there? We met in Mexico <laughs> in like in 2013. Cool. Um, then we had like a relationship via correspondence for a while and then she moved to Australia for like eight months. Mm-hmm. Like she moved into my bedroom <laughs> immediately, um, which was very intense. But it went well. Doesn't always go well, that kind of thing. Oh no, <laughs> it's like an art. It's totally miraculous. Yeah. I guess in some senses. Then, apart for a while, I was trying to finish uni and stuff. I blew it. Um, but I moved to Spain anyway. Came back. Finally finished last year. Mm-hmm. I guess the next stage is the the unknown. That's really cool. Which is. The future, always, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I heard it described by a meditation teacher the other day as like planning for the future is like trying to create a a parachute while falling. Yeah. Um, (coughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I thought it was pretty useful. It's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's kind of freeing, right? Like another, another phrase... Um, that I find really useful is like relax nothing is under control Mm. Um, I remember a friend of mine actually when I went overseas he said to me I hope that you're safe but that you are terrified Mm. and like I guess that's that's like the the modus operandi of doing things Mm. like, like that engaging with that fear which is also I guess the sensation that you have when you are free yeah what a great friend yeah <laughs> many like great that. friends very lucky yeah mm. yeah and it's I guess it's probably a little bit terrifying too to be thinking okay well I'm gonna leave that now and go somewhere where I mean do, do you know anyone in Chile or I have some contacts mm. actually excuse me Still a bit sick. Um, yeah, Michael Michael Farrell was just over there. I think with Nick um, Nick Wittick did it for a festival, and he said that he's got a bunch of more contacts for me as well. But I have lots of friends who are Chileno and some people who've studied there and stuff. But the reason I chose to go there was because it's one of the few Spanish-speaking countries that I can actually do a working holiday visa right? ease and where I know people because I can't do another one in Spain. Right. Um, and the idea is to start doing translation. That's kind of like the, the, the long-term goal. Mm. Yeah. Um, Hopefully starting to translate poetry. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I know so little about any kind of Latin American poetry. Like, yeah. Honestly, I know that it exists. I know it's like a very 
uh, rich and and deep and wide kind of uh, area of the poetry landscape. But I know, yeah, I, I think that intimidates me a little bit. So I'm like, yeah. oh, where on earth would I begin? I still feel intimidated. Like in many ways, it's where um, I I started with. I think when I was seventeen, I was was when I first started reading poets like. Well, I remember my, my brother's girlfriend gave me a book by Roberto Bolaño, um, The Savage Detectives, and that just kind of like blew my mind. And from that point, I just became really interested in like Latin American literature in general, I guess. Um, but that was how I, I f- found poets such as Lorca, Neruda, Mm. Um, Nicanor Para, another ch- they're all, they're all Roberto Bolaño, Neruda, Para, they're all Chilenos actually, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is another reason why Chile is like a a, a a choice for me to move because it has just in itself a, an incredibly rich um, literary history. Yeah, yeah. I guess one of the first women to win the Nobel Prize was Gabriela Mistral, who's also Chilena. Right. So yeah, the, the history is pretty, pretty, has a, uh, it's very profound in that it has lots of depth. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird though. I feel as if, I don't know if this would be fair to say, but maybe it's a broad generalization. I feel as if, um, poets working in Australia, tend to have um, maybe the US or the UK as our primary reference point in terms of a poetry culture and landscape that we're like aspiring to be part of or like responding to. Definitely. Yeah, and it it doesn't really make that much sense because we don't have that much in common really with those. Apart from the language. Well, yeah, we've got the language, yeah. I guess that's one of the things that's... um, English speakers tend to be such, um, they tend to be so monolingual and, and I guess like particularly in Australia, in, a, in our like isolation or whether it's self-imposed or not from the language groups that surround us geographically, that we kind of like live in this microcosm mm. and connect only I mean now we can as well through I guess for the last century or so through television and all this kind of stuff like it's very easy to remain within that microcosm Mm. but like I felt so so radically different when I was in Spain because the like half the people who like everyone who I knew spoke like more than three languages and it felt like I felt like I it's almost like I was missing some some body parts or something mm. because it I guess the access that you that you gain to to different different modes of of expression in regards to writing different writing practices different um, different histories of writing etc is yeah I guess it's it's very significant. 
Yeah, and even just ways of thinking. Like when you are forced to pare your vocabulary down to just what you can say in your second language, um, that sort of shifts your thinking. And then you start to realise that there are these different words and different concepts that are like, you've never thought about that because we don't... And it totally inflects your writing yeah in your first language as well yeah i can imagine yeah like i think that perhaps in terms of the writing that has influenced my own the most it would be and it's quite strange but it would be poets like Lorca and like maybe like Rimbaud and stuff poets who i've read only in translation mm. like i don't really understand french but have absorbed so much, like, um, I don't know if, like, stylistically, but absorbed so much of the sensation or, like, the the engagement with poetry and, and poetics from these poets, but not, I mean, maybe, maybe from some of the poets in the New York school, mm. I would say I get most of my, my English language influence, but... It's become pretty, um, pretty mixed mm. in terms of how I feel towards various poetic practices or yeah. practitioners. Mm. Yeah. Is there like a through line there between you've got Lorca, you've got the New York School? Um, what was the third that you mentioned? Uh, Who did I mention? I mentioned Rimbaud. <laughs> Rimbaud, right. Yeah. So is there something in common with, with those three? Is it like a Venn diagram where they all... Yeah, there definitely yeah. is. It's I, without, without having thought about it prior to having kind of mentioned them all in the same sentence, it's difficult <laughs> to put my finger on, on exactly what it is. Theme? Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess one of the things about Lorca is his... He take like he he kind of has like these these visual motifs that he uses a lot. Um, his poetry is very it has extremely strong and but then also like uh, themed imagery. Um, and one of the things that I've taken from him is like his hyper specificity mm. about or towards images uh, or moments or his descriptors and that I feel is also found within um, you know like Frank O'Hara or John Ashbery mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Ted Berrigan these kind of people as well like Rimbaud also like wild imagery and stuff um, yeah and that's always I guess that's probably what what I'm drawn towards the most yeah, I'm always banging on about specificity these days. Yeah. I feel like that's the answer to so many problems. <laughs> yeah. You've got a poem that's just not <clears throat> connecting. It's not saying what you want it to. It's. I feel like sometimes it's just going back to being like, okay, what do you honestly want to say? Like, just say the thing yeah. that you are, I don't know, like, yeah, stop, stop hiding from hiding the subject from yourself just talk about like the specific thing yeah I guess there's a lot of 
there's I, and I, I had this um, when I was younger, like a preoccupation with how to say, um, like how I guess how to get some kind of reaction or um, I don't know if the if emote is a is a verb um, something in not even in I guess like the the imaginary reader. Mm. Um, the ideal reader that I had in my mind, mm. um, how to, to, to move them. Um, but, and I was always thinking of like how to do that and like how, what can I do with form and what can I do with, um, you know, get distracted like by, by choosing, choosing verbs or abstract nouns and whatever, which are the, you know, they're the emotion that you're going for, but they don't actually elicit that emotion that you're just kind of naming it. Mm. And I've always found like zooming in on like a hyper-specific moment or detail, um, even just that act in itself, there's, there's something intense about it, um, something that seems to be inevitably moving. Um, and yeah, I guess like my practice is just developed from there, mm. just basically making making lists or like compilations of these these moments of zooming in. Yeah, I I um I remember when we were at our little poetry circle that sometimes pops up in various people's houses yeah. here, and there was a beautiful, really beautiful poem that you read, which was lists of vocabulary that you had collected through your English teaching, I think it was, oh, yeah. in Spain, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's the kind of poem that I feel like I'm always wanting to write, trying to write, but again, I feel like in me there's this instinct to maybe prettify it, make it smoother, make it more, um, ex- over-explain it, yeah. give it some kind of frame. And what was great, I felt like, about that pieces it was like literally i think you know that was your notebook you were reading from your notebook yeah you know? <laughs> it was a stolen poem yeah it's a you stole it off yourself <laughs> and like that's but it was a real thing and that that's yeah that zooming in quality was there because of that um yeah maybe another thing too i was just thinking before a commonality um between those three areas is that the sense I have is that none of those poets are afraid of beauty, I guess. Yeah, they're not going to make something grittier just for the sake of like being cool. Like if they see something beautiful, they're going to put it down on the page and, and share it with you. Um, yeah, and that, that they, they seem to be like, an element of, of the the aesthetics of language is always kind of like at the f- at the forefront of what they're doing. Mm. Um, they're interested in the beauty of language, and and yeah, displaying that I guess, or or even trying to discover what it is through experimentation and all mm. this kind of stuff. I mean, that's a better way to put it. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but it, but Lorca like. So he was uh, born in, in Granada, 
in the south of Spain okay. or just outside of Granada to like a wealthy landowning family. He, he moved to Madrid to study. Um, he was born like, I think in 1898. Um, and he wrote, uh, like he became famous in the mid-20s after he kind of published this book called Gypsy Ballads. And it was a theme that he was using. He was very influenced by um, the folk music of the gypsies or the Roma people um, of southern Spain and musicality and um, I guess rhythm uh, was always essential uh, in his work. Um, but then in about 1931, I think, he, or 1930, he just, I think he'd ended like a, messily ended a relationship with another artist and uh, kind of went on a sabbatical to, to the States and spent some time in New York. And he has a very famous book called Poet in New York. Oh, that's the one I keep seeing yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I'm always like, I should buy that book. But then it's, it's really thick and I'm intimidated. So it's an incredible it. book. <laughs> but in it, like, he, he, he does... Because he experiences, like, the immensity and the hyper kind of industrial um, megalopolis that is New York mm. and experiences like this um, in-your-face segregation of, of um, African-American people and I guess like all sorts of um, all sorts of segregations of people in that at that time um, and he's like completely overwhelmed by it and struck by it and that grittiness, yeah, um, it comes across in his work. But he also there's there is still this ephemeral beauty that's always within the poems as well. Even when he's dealing with topics that are like extremely dark and um, that like that that basically shatter him and. Um, he ends up coming home from the states and, and starting like a theatre company, which travels through the through the um, through the country, trying to bring theatre to to I guess like disadvantaged and, and like um, less less privileged peoples. Um, but yeah, I think the thing I wanted wanted to really say was like even even when he's dealing with dark topics, his his work is always infused with this. This beauty and, and this and this preoccupation with the aesthetics of the language mm. first, yeah. Maybe I do need to buy that book. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds good. A theatre company. Yeah. So he's also a very famous playwright. Right. Okay. I think his I think his play, La Casa de Bernada Alba, is the most translated. Um, piece of theatre ever hmm. even more than like Shakespeare or something right this is this is the local 101 that I need <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally starting from zero I mean yeah literally the only locker that I know is the locker that appears in a supermarket in California um, and I can't even remember the full line I just know that Ginsberg says and you Garcia Loca something something 
Oh, right. Back among the cabbages and wives and something else. I don't know. But he's, he, he mentions him, kind of like name checks him. Yeah. It's uh, funny how poets do that. Yeah. They love name checking each other. <laughs> yeah. Is, have you done that? No. You know what? I never do that. Yeah, right. No. I don't think I'd have the confidence to do it. I just, I don't know. I, I get quite, I, when I'm reading work and just for a long time not knowing who various poets were and encountering them in poems mm. always felt like kind of alienating. Um, yeah. It's like a reference point that's completely hollow. Yeah, I don't know that guy. But I guess yeah. like hollow all sorts of references in work intertextual mm. um, intertextuality can be hollow mm. um, because you have to know what the what the reference is but mm. I, I like I totally avoid it because it frustrates me <laughs> what yeah. I'm reading yeah um, yeah like oh there's so many that's just brought up so many questions for me uh, yeah it, it I was the same like it's it's taken me such a long time to get to the point where I can read a poem and even like the most basic references in terms of that name checking mm. I start to go oh okay you've mentioned this poet so that means you're pointing to this school yeah and like yeah I don't know um it just takes a long long time and I remember being like in my early 20s just feeling like I had to somehow like ingest like anthologies worth of work and just feeling totally overwhelmed by that prospect absolutely yeah and I wanted it to happen like yesterday yeah <laughs> and then you never feel like you've gotten to a point like nope no one I, I guess yeah or you like I remember going to poetry groups when I was just moved to Melbourne seven years ago mm. I was like 18 and just like completely mind boggled by like by other people's I guess literacy yeah and just like knowledge and just like imagining like 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 fantasizing about one day like <laughs> coming close to having that relationship with 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 literature I guess yeah I, um, I still feel that way yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah I'm just happy if I manage to get through an evening without being like, oh, who's that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't really, I used, I don't really do anything about it anymore, though. Like, mm. I used to read voraciously, partly out of this sensation that I had to catch up. Yeah, same. Mm. Um, and I've since, like, abandoned that idea mm. um, because it was, it just wasn't very pleasurable. No, it's a horrible way to approach poetry. It's yeah. like a checklist. Um yeah, yeah, it sounds like we did a lot of the same. Yeah. Very frantic work. <laughs> and you don't really take it in. You're not reading it because you want to read it. You're reading it because you feel like you should read it. And then you, that way you're, you're taking it in a completely yeah. different way. And I, like these days I just, like I think I've been just reading Lorca and Frank O'Hara for like the last three years. Pretty much no one else. That's like, like those are good choices. <laughs> yeah. Read a couple of poets. And, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I suppose like, I'd love to branch, discover 
I'm sure I will. It's like the same with music. I think I tend to get obsessed with like a record mm. or not even an artist, just like a particular record by an artist. And I just listen to it for like a year yeah, um, and become deeply, deeply immersed in it. Mm. And then so one day I'll start listening to something else. And it's kind of the same with, with, with poems, poetry mm. for me. Like the poem that I'm going to read is, I don't know how many times I've read it, like hundreds and hundreds of times. Great. Well, let's, let's jump to that then. Okay. Yeah. Um, poem, I'm just trying to find what book it's from. This doesn't really, it's from Sweets. I don't know when it was published, but it was before he published the Gypsy Ballads. Okay. So before, which was, I guess, like a a theme, a very specific form that he was following as well, and that got completely broken when he went to New York in like his, his yeah, his... Um, I'm terrified of using the word style, but like the... The way he was writing um, drastically changed after that point. So this is like precedent to all of that. Okay. In any case, it's called... I'll read it in Spanish and then I'll read this translation. So it's called Duna. Sobre la extensa duna de la luz antiquísima me encuentro despistado sin cielo ni camino. El norte moribundo apagó sus estrellas. Los cielos naufragados se ondulaban sin prisa. Por el mar de la luz, ¿dónde voy? ¿A quién busco? Aquí gime el reflejo de las lunas veladas. Hay mi fresco pedazo de madera compacta. Vuélvame a mi balcón y a mis pájaros vivos. El jardín seguirá moviendo sus arriates sobre la ruda espalda del silencio encallado. And the translation in English, which isn't my favorite one, but it's still pretty precious. Atop that vast dune, most ancient light, I find myself lost with no sky, no road. The north near to death had switched off its stars. The skies were shipwrecked, slowly rising and falling. Through a sea made of light, I go where? I seek whom? A reflection that cries here of moons hidden by veils. May the cool piece of tight-grained wood in my hand take me back to my balcony, my still living birds. Then the garden will follow will be moving its borders on the coarse-grained shoulders of a silence run aground. Hmm. Is there something specific about the translation that doesn't gel for you? Yeah, there's like a few... Um, there's a few syntactical, like, uh, 
things that come across as clunky to me. It's all. It's always like every translation is problematic. Um, In that it's a translation to begin with. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that, like that's okay. But it. It. I guess when you there's different ways that you I guess like respond to the choices that the translator makes and how they reflect how you feel to the to the original yeah and I suppose in this particular one it just comes across as more there's there's a lot of like putting things into uh the gerund so the continuous mm. when they're not mm. in the in the continuous but they're like it's in tenses which exist in spanish which don't exist in english what but so like I didn't know that. but it feels it just feels really strange it feels like it should have been simpler right 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 and it feels like there's this action all these actions which are happening mm. but they're not whereas <laughs> they're in, the, like, in the original it's more kind of still yeah this mm. the it's much it's much more um like crystallized and um not so yeah i guess not so fluid mm. it's like a, a snapshot yeah yeah definitely wow the spanish just sounds so beautiful yeah and then the english sounds so clunky yeah in comparison <laughs> yeah. did um did Lorca come first or did spanish come first for you for me um Lorca. um actually no Lorca came first mm-hmm. Lorca came first i started studying spanish at uni mm. um how long ago 2012 so six years ago four, mm-hmm. five and a half years ago mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd, I'd been Lorca and other other Spanish language poets were what um, I'd always wanted to learn a language, but they were the the reason I chose to to learn Spanish. Yeah. Um, and then I guess there are a bunch of other reasons I wanted to go to Latin America and. Um, Spanish is an extraordinarily useful language to know. Yep. I always felt that it sounded beautiful as well. Um, and it's pretty simple. It's pretty easy. Hmm. Um, I think maybe relative to some other languages. Yeah. For an English speaker. For an English speaker, yeah. 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 Do you speak any other languages? Yeah, I speak Japanese. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'm thinking about what you're saying in terms of translation. I, I do understand that frustration. Um, but there's just too much baggage for some words. Like there's, yeah. a, there's a Japanese word that is always used, like, you know, many, many times a day by Japanese people, which, which is natsukashi, which means kind of like uh something has a quality of like nostalgia about it like it okay. reminds me of something and there's this bittersweetness and longing and like all this stuff you know a taste can be natsukashi a smell uh a place yeah a person a flower and um it's just a single word 
and it's so useful whereas in English we would kind of need to go on this long rambling like yeah. oh man when I see you know this flower it reminds me of the time of blah blah yeah 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 um, instead of just saying oh that flower is Natsukashi you don't need to say any more so yeah it's it's a it's fun and exciting to be able to see um, a lang- another language from the inside yeah definitely yeah. and I guess also when you notice those things you, you also notice them in your own language as well mm. like the I guess like the the world that I live in in Melbourne is one that is heavily infused with slang and colloquialisms um, and the adjectives and the that we use are like like kind of <laughs> they're ridiculously applicable to all sorts of situations I remember in a literature class the um, oh, I forget his name the professor was asking us what our favourite words are mm. and I at the time I said my favourite word is rig because the word rig like within our nomenclature can like can refer to basically anything like, uh, like a setup or so a person rig. can be a rig it uh-huh. describes like a rig is like someone who's um i don't know like like loud and boisterous and uh-huh. but then a rig can also be like your car or your lighter or um it gets it gets tr- changed as well so there's riggery which <laughs> is like the performance of being a rig I guess like, <laughs> I did not know about this at all <laughs> yeah and there's there's like I guess there's hundreds of words like these that we use or at least dozens yeah um, and they have a similar function where they just that's the the, the flexibility of language um, how in flux it is is that you can you can just bend words to your will if, mm. if, if, if so long as there's a uh, space socially um, that facilitates it yeah which I guess is what I'm really interested in doing within my own work as well um, but which I think I've come to these kinds of ideas through the fact that it's so evident when when you're reading work in translation mm. um, the impossibility or of, of translation um, in some kind of like there there is an ideal that that you can kind of exactly transpose um something from one place to another Mm. um which is a myth yeah um but it's a that fact in itself i find extremely stimulating and beautiful and exciting Mm. um rather than more so than like frustrating or or as like a as a as a barrier. Yeah. Um, I see it more as like a an opportunity or, or a facility. Yeah. 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 As you're talking, I'm thinking. Well, that's poetry itself, isn't it? It's a translation of someone else's experience, and it's impossible that the poem is ever going to fully measure up to what it is they wanted to say. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's what uh, 
I find so enticing about it is I want to get inside that person's experience. I want to be inside their memory or their head or their feeling, um, but I know that I can't. Mm. And that I'll, I'll inevitably miss things and not understand references, and but I still, yeah, have the desire to. But I guess that connection, the connections that we can form, are formed when we open that space up. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's that's like the one of the many functions of poetry is reaching out into that that space, and then also I guess. Um, poetry is all, all, all to me is is um, something intrinsic with it is is finding new ways to connect um, or or creating new ways to connect I guess mm. um, in order that we can have um, we can further the the potential of our experience. Um, with language itself and I guess in particular with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just read this beautiful collection of poems um, on The New Yorker where a couple of uh, poets were writing to each other through these long poems. Yeah. And it was just so lovely. And so I just wrote to my friends, uh, one's in Prague and one's sort of all around in Europe and I said like why don't we do this this yeah. is great we could yeah. like write to each other through poems yeah and yeah we started doing it and it's just it's a it's a great way to get some poems written yeah and b it's like there are things that you can say in a poem oh this is so obvious but there's just like ways you can frame experience and feeling um in a poem that if you had like a whole essay you would just never yeah get to that distillation Definitely, and like Frank is someone who comes to mind immediately when you're yeah. talking about that. Like, mm. I guess personism. Like, yeah, you know that little essay. I just heard about that today yeah. for the first time. Of, I, I think I had like it had passed by me at some point because I recognised the word personism. Yeah. But then um, the person at the workshop today was saying, "Yeah, that was his whole thing. He was just writing letters to his friends." Yeah, pretty much, and like. The whole, it's just like so. It's just he's, and then it, it's like immediately, like you click when you, like I remember reading this essay at the back of his book, and and then kind of going back to the poems that I read, and I was like, oh, he's just talking to someone. Yep. Like he's, it's it's, it's almost like he's just having a conversation, mm. and and that's what, that's what makes it so intimate, mm. and I guess it's also what part of what um why I think so many people genuinely feel as if they have an intimate connection with with Frank O'Hara like yeah. the person like <laughs> totally. people constantly talk about this like yeah. you know they feel yeah. like they know him or they feel like he's he's their friend or something yeah um and that's that's so beautiful like it's so precious yeah I think and I, I, I totally feel that way it's really hard to do though I find you mean just writing a poem to someone without thinking of another audience? Yeah. 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 Or I, I find it like... Because it's such a uh, heightened form of communicating with someone. Mm. <laughs> mm. It, it feels quite risky. Um, 
Yeah, like you might show your soft underbelly a bit, yeah, a bit like, too much. Yeah, <laughs> it's it feels very, um, it's a very vulnerable act, mm. but therefore, what makes it so so beautiful, so profound, mm. so intimate? I guess are these words are pretty. Yeah, yeah. Like it seems as if on paper we we shouldn't enjoy Frank O'Hara at all because we are not the intended audience, or at least that's the premise. Um, I don't know if the essay mentions anything about his consciousness of other readers, does it? Or well, I think I haven't re- I haven't read it for like a couple of years, but um, I think I think much of the idea is that as readers, we want to have a connection with the poem, and we want to feel like it mm. is directed to us, it is for yeah. us. Yeah, we want to always be the you. Yeah, kind <laughs> of, yeah. Um, yeah. Especially when there's affection within the poem. Mm. And so I guess... I mean, you're, like, you know that you're not... You're not the subject of the poem, but the fact that there is a subject that, that you can, like, you can inhabit... Mm. Um, that subject and make that choice is like Frank's offering that and because he knows that that's that's what we want to do as Mm. readers as Mm. as humans is feel connected and so I guess he's using that mode to as 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 a as a form or as a practice within his work Mm to to reach that 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 intimacy which he does obviously yeah i'm always giving the poem that starts i think it starts kangaroos sequins chocolate sodas uh and something something they do have meaning they're strongest rocks i've written that poem out to two people and given it as a birthday present yeah right They're probably like, ah, oh, this is a shitty <laughs> But, yeah, I don't know. There's something about that poem in particular. It's like, yeah, see, look at this. Look at this thing. Yeah. Mm. But that's what they are. They're gifts. Yeah. Yeah, they're gifts to his friends, but somehow they include us. And, yeah. They're re-givable. I guess that's like... I guess that, wouldn't that be such a great thing to be trying to do is is writing to writing poems that people are then able to give to other people mm. like just it like i mean it's such so much it's a very <laughs> it's a very bold it's a very noble i guess like ambition and very hard to do maybe mm. depending um but that seems like pretty worth it. Yeah, get your own stuff out of the way enough. Like, if you're wondering, like, what you do, like, why you're writing poetry, mm. or like, yeah, what, what, what brought you to it in the first place? Mm. I guess, which is a question that I think everyone goes through. I definitely went through it. I was like, what am I doing? Like, mm. is this about me, or is this about? Yeah. Is this about my ego? Is it, is this about connecting with other people? Mm. Um, and it can kind of be about both but for me it's at the end of the day it's definitely always about 
connection. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's sort of going back to that thing about, you know, the, the stuff about beauty and being unafraid of it. I think that inclusiveness is what makes that go from uh, look how gorgeous and sad my life is, check it out, yeah. and, and marvel to like, look how gorgeous and sad this thing is yeah. that you are also part of. Yeah. Um, that we are part of yeah uh, yeah and there's plenty of poems in the in the former category being written and published and made all, all the time um, yeah but you probably aren't going to give them to your friend as a birthday present no. <laughs> yeah. no. um, I feel as if I am Becoming, it's becoming a habit for me to be speaking to poets on the eve of their leaving Melbourne. Because oh, really? the last conversation I had in this kind of general vicinity was with Anupama. Anupama. I haven't listened to that one yet, but... Yeah, it was uh, It was literally days before she, yeah, like she had she boxes. Was packing. I would have seen her like the day before or something. Yeah, I was yeah. also helping her pack. Oh, were you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, think, I think you might have mentioned around that time too. Um, I... I don't know how much you want to delve into this, but I'm interested in the fact that you have been part of um, poetry in Melbourne. You've been to Spain, you've come back, now you're leaving again. And um, whether that's changed the way that you think about the community here or your own work or anything like that. Oh, definitely. Like when I was first here was when this thing that we have that still exists but poetry group, this community, small community. Mm. Um, like back in 2011, 2012, mm. it was um, like I, I was, I was 18, just moved to Melbourne um, and kind of fell into this, this world. Mm. Like I was extremely lucky. I guess like f- for me, the, the, it was an incredibly nurturing environment um and still still is in those connections that I formed with many of those poets um like I mentioned to you after li- like listening to the to the poetry saves with Corey was like um it was very moving for me because he was talking about things that I just felt exactly the same about and we were kind of like part of this group at the same time at He's a bit older than me, but it's definitely had the, the same function for both of us. And I, and I, over time, I've kind of like flitted in and in and out of it. I've been on the outskirts. I've, I've been um, deeply involved, depending on kind of what's going on in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does feel as if. I am like it's always it's always there for me like I always come back to it mm-hmm. um, and mainly because these this group of people that yeah we we we're just friends like <laughs> um, who who share uh, uh, I guess a passion um, or <laughs> an obsession um, with something in that ne- that never dies in any of us, and so therefore we 
you know, like the, the community that we have together remains mm. more or less intact. I mean, it is because people do move away and, and come back and stuff. It, it's, it's, uh, it can be fragmentary, mm. um, but there is a cohesion and, and underneath all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like, like when I went to Spain, um, one of the, the things that I was constantly subconsciously looking for was like, uh, something to replace what I had in Melbourne, which I found, um, and started golfo with some friends, mm. um, whilst I was there. And that's having a writing to com- community to me is like imperative. Like I wouldn't really do it if I didn't have the community. Mm. Um, if I wasn't able to share and interact on a, on a, on a personal level, mm. um, because that's far more important to me than I guess, I guess like, you know, just submitting poems to magazines and having them published and kind of like having a weird peripheral interaction with like, you know, the Australian poetry world. Um, it doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, and I also like, I haven't really, I haven't really submitted any poems to publishers for a long time precisely because I I guess I could, I don't really, I don't get the connection I want, um, with poetry so much through that, as opposed to doing other things like making a, a, a zine with some, some mates. Mm. Yeah. Or going, or just going to a poetry group and sharing some some work with some some close friends. Yeah. Um, when you first came to that group, though, were you like frightened? Were you intimidated by the people who were there? The first time. <laughs> it's not the first time I was there. I was like, holy shit! <laughs> like, oh, totally. But here? I was also like so naive and like. Right. I I I like. I also romanticised it, like, okay. very much so. Mm. Like, I came to Melbourne and from the first time I went to a poetry group, I'd, like, I was in year 12 and I had asked my mum if she would let me hitchhike to Melbourne, which she didn't, but she put me on a train. And I'd met some... I'd met Michael Farrell and Tim Wright and... Um, I think maybe Ella O'Keefe as well at the National Young Writers Festival in Newcastle the year before. And so hit Michael up and he was like, oh, if you'd like to come to this poetry reading, come along. And it was at this house that Nick Whittick had on Cardigan Street, I think. No, it wasn't Cardigan Street. It was Canning Street. Um, I remember walking in like this big, old, um, beautiful house and... My friend Sam Langer was like lying on his back on the floor in the middle of the lounge room reading a some reading something and there was you know, there was some just poets kind of standing around and it, it looked it was outrageously kind of like <laughs> bohemian seeming um, <laughs> the first time I ever went and I remember Sam like saying like Oh, you must have the most, you must have the, the funniest impression of us, like all lying around, like <laughs> drinking wine, eating grapes and reading poems. Like, 
yeah, it was it was like extremely exciting. Um, but I, I, I felt immediately comfortable, I think, because I guess once I, the, for that first time I read some of my poems and had people listen to them and I guess like say, thanks, can you read another one, please? Um, that it was just like wildly validating mm. and um, immediately established a sense of belonging which as a teenager I'd been you know desperate to find yeah so yeah it felt it felt like home very very, very quickly yeah right but like I said I was extraordinarily lucky hmm yeah it's funny because people always say that thing of like oh writing poetry such as uh solitary pursuit yeah and uh i think it can be if you want it to be but i think you're right i think if you have that community around you you're much more likely to actually sit down and do something and get feedback as well which is hugely important and be reading other people's stuff as well because i think probably the other side of the solitary pursuit angle is like yeah only write poems on my own and I only read my own stuff yeah or possibly I don't even read my own stuff I just like write just write yeah (laughs) Yeah. don't even edit just write it's right yeah which is I mean that's a practice but um, I don't know how far it can really take you yeah and I wouldn't I wouldn't say like you know don't do that Mm. but of course I feel drawn towards communities and therefore I like encourage other people Mm. to try and find them or make them yeah. Um, because I don't know. I mean, I try I do that in every other part of my life. Yeah. Um, so why would you keep poetry yeah. in this like weird little like locked up in a yeah. in a little pigeonhole? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if that's how you want to do it, do it. Yeah, if that's if that's what works. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess for people listening who are th- who are hearing that description of, you know, a, a Melbourne poetry circle and thinking, oh, God, you know, if only kind of thing. Yeah. Like that, it's so basic, it's so simple. It doesn't have to happen in, on on Canning Street. No. It happen bloody anywhere. No. Yeah. In 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 the park. Yeah. At at the pub. Mm-hmm. Like any any space. Yeah, any city, any 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 town. Yeah, absolutely. And we're more able to connect than we ever have been able to in the past, Mm. which can be overwhelming sometimes. But Very, um, yes. I guess that's also the function of rather than having, having, like, in, in connecting with people through, about poetry through social media and all this kind of stuff, like I guess that's fine and some people are content with that Um, but actually being in a space and sharing a space and that brings an entirely different intimacy to uh, the connections that you're forming when when you're sharing poems with people and stuff Mm -hmm. and you know it's like everyone's always sharing books um 
bringing bringing things to the to the group, which you know you've never I've never like most of the time I've been listening to poem by poets who I'd never heard of. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like couldn't even keep up with how how much content I was exposed to mm. ever. Mm-hmm. Still can't. Yeah. But that's that richness is is what's super super exciting about it. Yeah. And you can only kind of get that um, when you do actually go and meet up at the pub with people. Yeah, yeah no, completely. Yeah, it's pretty hard to replicate. Um, I kept you for a while, but I did want to have a bit of a bonus round to ask you about music because I know you're in a band as well, or were in a band. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> I saw your face, face blanch at that. <laughs> I was looking at a, at, at a bio from, I think it was 2014. So, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, bios. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, briefly played in a band called um, the Yu Yangs. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of, yeah. Yeah. I like, oh, that was in 2012, I, we started playing, we, went, we had like various different names as well. I was, I was just singing and, and playing percussion. Um, and we played a few shows around Melbourne and then I moved back to the Blue Mountains where I'm from mm-hmm. and then went overseas and then when I came back the band was kind of wrapping up right. and transforming into another band. Right. Um, but yeah, that was super, super fun. <laughs> Love to yeah. try and get myself involved in something like that again. Yeah, absolutely. well, maybe that's waiting for you. <laughs> um, and in terms of music, like music that you're listening to, What's what album are you gonna take with you? What's gonna be like your the thing that you listen to on the plane when uh, you get there? Yeah. Um, right now, I'm obsessed with Beach House. Beach House. Yeah. I do not know. Um, I think these two women who make these kind of very <coughs> large sounding but incredibly simple in terms of structure, like synthy, um, kind of garagey pop pop records. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the songwriting's just—I don't know—it's so immaculate, um, so simple. Um, and this one particular one I've been listening to is "Thank Your Lucky Stars." Mm-hmm like on repeat for like every day basically for like the last I don't know year and a half great I'm still like I get so deeply obsessed with like particular records like I'd listen to a, a, a really really broad range of music but I mm-hmm. always always kind of have one particular thing which I zoom zone in on and kind of struggle to to move on from at times yeah but it's kind of appropriate though if you think about it because it would have taken that band a year to put it together so yeah 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 definitely yeah i mean i'm 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 that i'm that kind of like music listener which gets more obsessed with the music than or like almost equally as obsessed with the music as the people who actually made it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah so great to have a listener like that yeah like it, to the point where like I'd learn all the songs on 
work them out on my guitar and sing them and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Which which sometimes like completely kills it. That's like the that's when it's time to move on. Yeah. I'm <laughs> when I'm claiming all the songs myself. <laughs> totally. Like, oh yeah. it's only three chords. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um I wanna give you an album in case it helps at any point. I just started listening to um Destroyer, new Des- pon- new pornographer's guy's solo project. You're right. Um, and his album Kaput. Kaput. Yeah. By Destroyer. Yeah. Yeah. I have no what's, idea what your what, taste is. What's but, the tip? Uh, song called Suicide Demo for Karen Walker. I think. That's, I think that's what it's called. Okay. Maybe not Karen Walker. But what kind like of style? Oh, what kind of style? Um. Sorry, been in my Dreamy, like sounds like he's singing from un, out of space and underwater and oh, yeah. you know, drug haze, but very lucid and um, happy but sad, but doesn't care. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the worst yeah. description of music <laughs> ever. <laughs> Describing music's really hard. It's really hard. It's almost as bad as poetry. <laughs> <laughs>